0: Now, again, don't forget afterward, get a a, a group photo would uh, be really cool to do that. My family and I did that. My wife said, hey, will you print some out? And so I've got, you know, printed versions. It's kind of fun to get a group photo, especially at Christmas. But chances are, I think if you're like me, when you are in a group photo, you first of all, look at yourself, right? What is it about us when we take, even if it's like 30 people, a big group photo, and we look at that, our eye quickly looks at ourselves. We scan to uh, our face or our body, and we want to see, you know, was that right? Do did, did we have that goofy look on again? You know what I mean? Uh, how was the hair? You know, did they catch my good side? If you have a good side, you know, I'm still looking for my good side. And, and we somehow we tend to focus on ourselves. We tend to focus in on ourselves. That's just natural. It's human nature. Uh, We do that. Uh, You know, just, just take a look at the whole selfie culture that's risen up in the last number of years. The word selfie itself. Oh, this is me and my buddy Hassan. Hassan uh, came to Christ out of Islam a number of years ago, and he's one of my students over there that I'm discipling in Rwanda. And I've got baby lion, of course, with me. Uh, But this, I rarely take selfies of myself. Of course, I really take selfies, I should say. That's redundant. But with Hassan there, I wanted to take a picture. Uh, a month or two before that, I took a picture of me with a, a boar. Uh, of course, it was the rear end of a boar, which was the safer end to be around, uh, on a grass landing strip in western Uganda. But it's like, you know, that would be fun. But other than that, I don't like to take selfies. You know, I don't like to see myself. But sometimes we do, right? You know, history tells us that the very first selfie was actually the very first photograph. In the late 1800s, uh, this photo was taken. Now, this one over here, not that one, uh, this photo was taken. This uh, actually was taken by Robert Cornelius and not from Cornelius, but Robert Cornelius, 1839, the first ever example of a photo and probably a lot like Van Gogh didn't have a subject, so he used himself and he took a selfie. The very first photo is actually a selfie. Fast forward then to the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. This is uh, Buzz Aldrin, astronaut, uh, one of the Gemini missions, the first selfie in space. Isn't that kind of cool? That definitely trumps any other selfie that we've ever taken, right? Uh, people take selfies of all kinds of things. People, it's really kind of weird. It's popular to take selfies in dangerous places. Uh, take a look at this. Carnegie Mellon University discovered there are eight types of selfie deaths and they've recorded them categorized selfie deaths. It's unbelievable what people will do to get that selfie, to get that picture. And here are these guys. I can't even look at the picture. I am afraid of heights, you know, even cartoons uh, make me nervous when I look at heights, but people will go to amazing lengths to get that picture of themselves. People have been hit by trains. They've drowned in rivers. They've been hit by cars, uh, not thinking about what's around them, but only thinking Thinking about themselves and they want to get a picture of themselves and they die. It's crazy to think that people are, you know, inadvertently dying and killing themselves so that they can get that selfie. Selfies are everywhere. In fact, I love this next selfie. Look at this. (laughs) This is so cool because this is a bonafide selfie. Uh, in fact, this, there's a whole story about this. You can read on the news, uh, guy naturalist put up a camera and taking pictures. This guy walks in, starts getting, you know, funny with the camera. And then he ends up, you know, processing that, you know, through Lightroom or Photoshop or whatever. And, uh, then there's a lawsuit saying that the, 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 the monkey or the chimp itself, the primate owns the picture. It's like, he has rights to the picture. He should make money off the picture. I'm like, this is an animal. You know what I mean? If animals animals. needed rights for pictures, I'd be broke because I talk two cats. We take all kinds of pictures of, but look at that. That is a real selfie. That's my favorite. That is so awesome. But we are a selfie obsessed culture. Uh, Samsung did a a survey and they found that 30%, 30% of photos taken by those 12 to 24 are selfies. We love to take photos of ourselves. We are self selfie culture. We're self. If I could say it, obsessed culture. We are a culture that when we look at the picture of the group, we focus on ourselves. How how do we do? Did we look? Did we have the smile on? You know, was everything in place? Are are we on par or better than other people? You and I have a a struggle inside, and that is the struggle of we want to look at ourselves first. We want to focus on ourselves. And yet that's a difficult thing to do in a world of billions of people because everybody can't live that way, right? If everybody lived for themselves... What would our world be like? What would our economy be like? You say it kind of sounds like where we are today. And I think to some degree that's true. You and I live in a self-focused, a self-obsessed world. And we've been looking at this whole journey of living generously, which is the antithesis of that, to live for other people. That is not something that you and I can do naturally. It doesn't come naturally. I mean, we might have a burst at the Christmas season of, you know, giving to the Salvation Army and that bell ringers little kettle there or doing something nice. Uh, but usually, you know, there's something that we get back from it. Nothing wrong with getting something back. We love to serve. We love to do that. We feel good when we serve, but to truly live a generous lifestyle would be to stop thinking of ourselves and actually thinking about others. Selfish is when we think of ourselves first. We put ourselves first to be selfless is to not even think about yourself, not just think about yourself less, but to not even consider yourself anymore in the equation, but to focus everything on the other person. And so we've been in a series called living generously. And by living generously, we've been looking at a definition of generosity. Generosity is simply this biblical generosity means living a radically generous life that is deeply unselfish in every area. Your life Now, if you're here and you're not normally a church attender, uh, glad you're here. You're thinking, great. I come to church. They're talking about money. We're not talking about money uh, because in all these messages, we've been talking about everything but money. We did talk about it one time because we think about generosity. We think about your pocketbook, right? Your wallet, your credit card, you know? But the fact is. Generosity is in every aspect of our lives. We started it by saying, you know, even Jesus, when he was here, he focused on giving his righteousness to others, to people that were at the bottom of the spectrum, the bottom, the pool, at the very, very bottom, the least, the last, and the lost. We call them at sunrise, the broken, hurting people, the prostitutes, tax collectors, sinner, the undercast in the world of Jesus. He poured his life into them. He was giving them righteousness. He was introducing them to God. While the righteous Or self-righteous people, the Pharisees, the people in control of religion, they were focused on themselves. And Jesus gave us a lot of illustrations and one parable about, you know, it's when we humble ourselves before God, when we're broken before God. That's when the righteousness of God is generously poured out to us. And so what would it look like to be people that live like that? Uh, We looked at Pastor Emmy from uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, but also a student from Rwanda came through and talked about that in the goodness of God, in the big scheme of God, the plan of God, that God has a mission in the world and he uses you, he uses me. And you might not think that, you know, you're important on that scale, but God has a mission for you to live a life of generosity, of goodness to others. And that will change your world. That's what Jesus did. I would looked at it in hospitality. We can open up our heart, open up our home to people when we can really invite people deeply into our lives. Uh, Through meals, through conversations, maybe even having them come into our lives, incorporating people that are not, you know, by flesh and blood, our family, but other people that they are now part of us. That's biblical generosity by hospitality. And so we looked at a lot of those. We, You know, we obviously looked at money and what does that mean? But generosity is every aspect of your life. Now, what we've seen every week is we only have the power to do this really, truly. Not just a little bit, but to the depths of our lives. If Jesus is in us, because Jesus is the master of all these, he's the forerunner, the one that sets the pace for all of these aspects of generosity. And in the very same way, we're going to see that today. And I wanted to look at a passage of scripture that talks specifically about Jesus at Christmas time in humility. But the problem is we live in a self-obsessed culture. And it's so hard to hear these words. And I just want to jump right in. Let me read this to you. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Now, some of your parents are writing this. a good Bible verse. I got to figure out which one this is. I'll tell you in a minute which one this is. Don't be selfish. Now, the, the writer thinks that you and I can reverse this trend. He believes that you and I have the power Not on ourselves, we'll see, but to stop being selfish, to stop focusing only on ourselves. But the world we live in, everything around us is focused on ourselves. We live in a self-obsessed culture. Everybody's about focusing on themselves, about getting uh, the next step for themselves. Yeah, if it benefits us later, we can be generous to somebody, but only so that it comes around to us. Don't be selfish. That's what this Bible writer says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Don't try to live your life in such a way that other people think better of you. Now, uh, hopefully people think well of you, that would be great. But if you live your life in such a way that the focus of your life is so that other people look at you and Love you like you uh, think you're better or whatever. Um, you're going to have this external coding of a life that looks great, but you're never going to live up to that. None of us live up to that. We'll become hypocrites and we don't need more hypocrites in the world. We don't need more hypocrites in the church. Don't be selfish and don't try to live a life of impressing others. Now, but he says instead, here's the different plan and it's the opposite. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now that is hard for us to do again in little bursts. That's nice. We can get that motivation. We can go and do that nice altruistic act for some. We can, we can go serve someone. We can do a project and we leave. And, and, you know, honestly, sometimes we only do that. So we feel good about ourselves, you know, as a person that goes on mission trips and trains pastors, you know, in varying places, East Africa, Cuba here in a couple of weeks, it's easy to go on a trip to serve people. And that really be about you. It really is because how many of our selfies were taken on a mission trip, right? And we sure look good in those. And that's that's a really uh, subtle danger in our hearts. But if if we listen to what this writer says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves, then that's the opposite of selfishness. Now, what would it mean to think of someone better than yourself? Just to put them first, consider them first. Um, I, I, I learned this when I was a kid. It's really silly, uh, but I will inflict you with it uh, because I learned it and I could never forget it. That the uh, little formula for happiness is joy. Jesus, others, you. Real simple, real silly. I mean, you know, kindergartner can get it. It's really easy. Jesus first, others next, and you and I last, right? That if we want to experience real joy, if we put ourselves first, that's not the answer for true joy. But true joy comes by putting others first. Obviously, Jesus first as a follower of Jesus, then others, and then yourself there. Don't look out only for your own interest. This word is interesting. The word look there. And you'll get the meaning as soon as I say the word. But in the original language, it was the word scopus. And it has nothing to do with mouthwash. It has everything to do with focus. Okay? Now, the word scopus sounds like telescope. That's what it means. To peer intently through a lens to see something. To focus on something. To isolate everything else so that that thing could be the focus of your attention. Scopus. Uh, we think about it, a uh, telescope, microscope, looking at something real small. Uh, you got a rifle, you put a scope on the rifle. And you can see that deer or that animal there. To isolate everything else and to intently focus on something else. And in this way, what this guy is writing about is living our lives in such a way that we focus on others, that we don't focus only on our own interests or needs. And we've got to, you know, we got to care for ourselves, right? We Got to eat, we got to sleep, we got to care for ourselves in many ways, emotionally, spiritually. There's nothing wrong with that. But once we're healthy, once we're stable, once we're in a good place, we have to pour everything else into other people, right? That we need to scope us or focus On other people's interests and take an interest in others, too, to genuinely think about other people. Now you're thinking, who writes this stuff? Well, there's a guy named Paul. Uh, He was sent out as a missionary, as an apostle, and he wrote this letter. Now. You know, it'd be really cool if, you know, he wrote it in Cancun on the beach. You know what I mean? Or Cabo or wherever you might like to vacation. Or, you know, he was in Kauai in his little hut, you know, looking out at the water and writing this nice little treatise on how to be, you know, loving to others. But Paul, the apostle Paul wrote these words when he was in prison. And he was in prison not because of, you know, his own actions for himself. He didn't get in trouble for doing his own thing. His whole life was about focusing on others. The apostle Paul went out as a a missionary, a Christian follower of Jesus, sharing this message with so much intensity that it didn't matter about his own body, his own, you know, his own energy. You could read I mean, he was exhausted. He was beat up. He was shipwrecked. Paul went through so many traumas in his life, not for himself, but for other people, for Jesus and others. And so Paul is in prison because he's giving his life away. He one day dies for this later on, this message, but he's thinking about others. And so he's in a prison cell in this cave or whatever it might have been at that time in Rome. And he's chained up with some guards and he's thinking about other people. He's thinking about a church, a church called the Philippian church. These believers that had been so kind to him to give him a gift. And he's just saying, thank you. And he starts to write and he talks to them about this. That if you really want to have a great heart for others, a great generosity, you want to live generously with humility. You want to put others first. But like we've seen every week, we only can do this when we follow the pattern of Jesus, the footsteps of Jesus. And so then Paul gives the ultimate example. Look what he says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He says, if you really want to be humble, if you want to blow up selfishness in your life, if you want to get rid of that attitude of ingratitude and get to the point where you're thankful and you're truly generous in your humility, just look to Jesus because he's the perfect example of it. And he says, have the same attitude, the heart, the perspective that Christ Jesus had. And then he explains that though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. What he's talking about is before Jesus came came to the earth and a baby, the whole Christmas story. He's in heaven. He's equal with God. He's part. He's God, father, son, spirit. And there's huge mystery, this triunity up there. But when this decision came down, he didn't cling to that. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, all that worship of being God, all that honor of being God, all the glory of being God. And it says, instead, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. That. God, you know, from deity to a diaper, we could say, that he was completely dependent on others. Imagine that. The creator of everything. The Bible says that Jesus was a part of all the creation. He holds all things together. But out of love for you and me, we'll see in a minute, he steps into our creation, not just like blowing up on the scene with this major light show, you know, that beats Bellagio in Vegas any day. And all of a sudden is there and everybody falls down and worships him. No, he comes in this like totally humble way, completely selfless way, kind of painful way, a baby. Painful for Mary, at least, you know. Painful for him because now he needs complete dependent care. And he, he grows up. And as he begins this journey later on in his life, he lives his selfless life. He's humble. He's focusing on the needs of others. And he gets to this point where then he gives up everything for us. It's totally selfless living. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form in these bodies, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The ultimate act of humility is giving your life for someone. In fact, that's, that's one thing the Bible says, you know, true love is to lay down your life for someone else. And Jesus did that for us. He out of humility, thinking of us first, he put us first. He didn't put himself first. So however, Jesus felt joy. It wasn't Jesus, others, you. It was, you know, others, you know, and Jesus was last in that one. And and so he laid his life down and he gave everything so that you and I could then gain those riches of heaven. And that's the that's the pattern. That's the model that the apostle Paul writes about. In fact, uh, we know this from history is Paul wrote this about. 62 uh, years A.D., about 30 years after Jesus died, was buried and rose again. 30 years, so just three decades after that. 30 years after that, the early church had already started... Composing songs about this, writing little creeds, as it were, or hymns, we might call them. And they would recite these in the early church. They didn't have the Bible yet. They didn't even have Paul's writings yet. They might have had some of the stories of Jesus and oral culture, maybe some fragments, but already the church is saying, we want to remember this Jesus that we worship. And they composed this. And in your Bible, you could see it's kind of set out as a poem. And that's what That's what Paul references. He says, if you really want to get humility right, if you want to learn to live generously, completely, ultimately, it's in a a humble act of giving your life up for others and giving everything away because that's what Jesus did. And that's whom we follow now. But the beautiful part about this is even though Jesus is born as a baby in a manger, and we worship him at Christmas here. uh, He goes on. So he dies, but it's not over. Look at the rest of the text. He says, therefore, because Jesus humbled himself, took the position of a slave, a servant, he became human, lived his life, died for us on the cross. Then God lifted him up, elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's all of creation. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. The word Christ means uh, Messiah or the one that God has put his stamp on anointed. So Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one is Lord. That we, he's the long awaited savior is what the word Christ or Messiah means that we all need a savior. We need someone to rescue us from our life of sin and brokenness, our life of devastation here on the earth. And and not only is Jesus our savior, but he's Lord, meaning he's boss. And when you and I. Bow down before him. We fall down before him. It all clicks. Everything becomes right to the glory of God the Father. Now, what's fascinating about this is this is a a vision of the future. Is that one day, and later on we see this at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, is that one day everybody will bow down before Jesus. Everybody will bow down before Jesus. Um, But if you look deeper into that story, you'll see that um, some people... Chose to bow down in their lifetime. And because of that, they bow down and receive the benefit of having Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior in their life, uh, their director, their leader, their forgiver, the one that loves them. And yet others will persist in living a selfish life, completely focused on themselves, maybe having some nice little, you know, focuses on others at times, but truly the Savior of their life is themselves. Or at least the attempt. The Lord of their life is themselves or at least the ability that we have to even do that. And one day we die. Then we ultimately stand before God. The Bible calls it a resurrection and they will bow down before him. And the simple question is this. Do you choose to bow before him today in this lifetime and receive him and then all the relationship and eternity with him. Or do you reject him because you're working on being the savior, you're working on being the Lord, you're working on figuring it all out. That's called selfishness. Well, you know, that, that's, that's, that's your choice. And you do that to the end of your life. And, but you know what? One day you will bow. That's what the Bible tells us. One day everybody will bow. And, but you will bow in a different kind of humility. And a resignation of realizing that the one that died on the cross that was pierced for our sins that died for us, that freely gave everything, you, you pushed him aside, you waited till the next Christmas service or Easter or whatever uh, you know you waited another season of your life one day and that never came, and you will come to this point there 's a, a little weird st- statement in the bible it 's kind of this description and uh, it's called the weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's kind of weird. It's like grinding your teeth. And it's, it's when you realize you made a mistake. I'm talking about like serious mistake, like big time mistake. It's so big of a mistake that, oh, it just kills you inside because you missed that opportunity. And it's this painful sorrow, this weeping, this wailing, this grinding of your teeth. That's what the Bible says. And so Christmas is simply the story of Jesus coming down. Modeling a perfect life of humility that we can follow it. We can't do it on our own, but Jesus coming into us can do it through us and we can live lives just like Jesus did, putting him first, then others. And then we live that life and we can bow before him and we can worship and we can sing songs like we've sung. And they're from the heart that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. That when we sing joy to the world, we mean it because it's joy in our heart that we really do have joy because we put Jesus first. Um, or, in the, in the truth is that we could say, you know, I just don't want that right now. I, I have some more working out to do. I have some more saving to do in my life. I have some more Lord stuff to do. And you know, God is patient, and He's patient, and it's unbelievable how patient He is. But the Bible says that patience is a kindness to you and to me. And that kindness is not to be abused, that kindness is to be thought of and understood that, wow, oh, goodness. The reason God is being patient and kind with me is so that I will come to that moment of repenting and coming to him. Because after all, the whole point of Christmas is that Jesus came to be born as a baby. The ultimate gift so that he could die on a cross. And that's the best gift of Christmas. It's the the gift of following Jesus. The one who is savior is Messiah. Is the Christ. And falling down before him is Lord. And that little baby, as weird as it might seem, is worthy of worship. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, all that other stuff, little drummer boy, all those things, you know. He's worthy of worship. And that means to bow down. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's the hope that we have. That's the ultimate life of generosity, is putting Jesus first and then others. And then you, would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for just that little way to say it. Jesus first. Some of us need to put Jesus first today. We need to think of Jesus first because Jesus isn't first. Maybe Jesus isn't even on the radar, but we need to humble ourselves, bow before him, get on our knees and say, Jesus, I put you first. You deserve to be first. You're God. You came in this little form of a baby, but man, in humility, he did it for me. Jesus, today I want to put you first. I want to believe in my heart. I want to confess with my mouth. Jesus, you are first. And then we get to live life for others and then ourselves too. But as we live for ourselves, with such a changed lifestyle and perspective. It's really Jesus. We can't do this on our own, God. We pray that you would empower us with your spirit to live a life of humility that this world could see true humility, not arrogance, not self-righteousness, not hypocrisy, but just giving our lives away just like Jesus did. Being willing to lay down our lives just like the Apostle Paul did, he wrote these words in prison for sharing about Jesus. God, he gave everything so others could know Jesus was first in his life and certainly others. God, give us the strength to do that as we submit and humble ourselves before you. God, it might be uh, just the the reality that people need Jesus first. And you speak to their hearts, Lord. You do that. You are the one that draws people to yourself. Speak the truth to them, Lord. May your spirit uh, do all that's necessary to show them the truth of you and your love. And you're so compassionate and you're so faithful and you're so kind and you're so generous to us. You're not a God that demands religious obedience. You're a father that delights in his sons and daughters. When we come to you and worship you and discover true life in you. May we change our perspective from God as a big Santa Claus. Giving us what we want or what we think we need. Uh, And God is the real God. Jesus in the flesh given for us. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.